Uh, welcome to Passion City this morning. If uh, you're not uh, from Passion City, we're in the book of Ephesians, and it's been amazing. And I can't wait today to jump back in. Anybody been digging around in chapter 3, or Joel all just leave me and go on to chapter 4? Anybody still in chapter 3? Okay, and six people are in chapter 3. Thank you. That's, this is revolutionary. Um, anybody going on to chapter 4? Does anybody have a Bible? Anybody own, script, own, own a copy of, of Scripture? So today we're going to finish up chapter 3, and there's a lot of things we could do in chapter 3, obviously, and when you get to a a scripture like Ephesians, we we could stay in this scripture forever, literally. I mean, we really could preach this one, six chapters of scripture, until Jesus comes. There's that much in every single verse. I've been sharing the same passage on the Burning Lights Tour now for about 40 cities, going all the way back to February, March, April, and then some of the weeks we've been doing here. And every single night on the Burning Lights Tour, I'm not kidding, every single night, something else in a story that I started learning when I was five years old at church, something different blows up in my heart. And one of the guys that has to be a part of the process with me, I mean, some of our, our uh, crew, you know, they just got to be there. Our sound guy is one of them. And he's an amazing guy. He's part of our church. And um, so he's sitting there every night. So he hears the talk every single night. And he's really good at giving me feedback. And so every day, if we see each other, he's like, let me tell you what hit me last night different. And I'm like, what? Well, a, thank God for a sound guy who's like, your talk's hitting me in a different way every single night. God said something different to me than he said any other time. I noticed this phrase that I hadn't noticed before. And then God's doing that in my life, and it's just reminding me all over again, you can't exhaust this right here. This is the deep riches of God. This isn't something, you know, like, oh, I read that passage, or I memorized those few verses, or yeah, I've read that before. It's like, no, this reads us, and God opens us up with this, and as long as you look into the Word of God, that's how often God's going to continue to speak to you in fresh new ways, because this Word is living, it says about itself, and it's active. Do you know that phrase? It's living and active. That means it is not static words printed on a page, but it's moving around, and it moves around in our hearts, and it moves around in the church, and it moves through the world. And I'm loving chapter 3, but I want to come down to the end of a very technical passage, and today we're going to do a little bit of diving around, and then we're going to have a cage fight, and it's just going to be thrilling to see how it all ends up today. It's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. But I want you to look with me toward the end of this middle section, beginning in verse 10. And then we'll back up and unpack some of this. And it's not really all that technical. It's just one of those paragraphs of Scripture that if you're new to church, if you're new to Scripture, you're going to read it and go, okay, I didn't really get that. Let me move on to the next section because this prayer is a lot easier for me to access and understand. But there's something in here that is so profound that it really literally changes the direction of our lives. It says in verse 10, His intent, speaking of God, Was that now, so we're in this, in the now, right now, through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Now see, already when I just read that verse, some of you are like, "Uh uh-huh, that's the thing. I read that a few times and I was like, okay, what are we talking about there? God's intent was that now, right now, through the church, so this thing we're a part of, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And then look at verse 12 with me. In him, that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, now when you and I hear that, you have to understand a lot of us hear that on the backside of history of the faith. We, we, we know who Jesus is. Most of us in the house today, we know why he came to earth. We know that he gave his life for the sins of the world. We know he was dead and buried and raised up from the dead, that he gives life to everyone who puts faith in him, that there's no distinction between people that grew up in this country or that country or who speak that language or that language or who have this race or that race, that anybody and everybody is welcome to come to the, the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. But you have to go backwards a little bit into the New Testament history and to understand that when Paul is writing these words, that hadn't been the way of faith. That from the very beginning, God had chosen a people, the nation of Israel, and he had made a promise to those people, not any other people. So only to the nation of Israel did he make a promise through Abraham. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you down in a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a light to the world. And all of the promise was for Israel. And so for the Israelite, they were thrilled because they were chosen by God to be his people to begin his movement on earth. But it also in their mindset was that all the other peoples of the earth were excluded from the promise of God. They were typically the enemies of Israel. So it was the Philistines that they would go in and always fighting up against these ungodly people. And then all the other nations that Israel would bump up against in their history. But now when Christ has appeared, a new mystery is being revealed. And Paul is the one who's been given the revelation of that mystery. So that he now, as a Jew, who has also got the credibility of being a Roman citizen, can preach to both the Roman world and to the Jewish world that something new has happened. And the new thing that's happened is that the grace of God is not just for one people, it's for all people. It's not just for Israel and anybody born into the lineage of Israel. The grace of God and the mercy of God and the promises of God and the future of God are for all people. And this is the mystery that has been opened up to Paul. And as he's sharing it, he's getting grief for sharing it from both angles. The, the Roman world doesn't want to believe in Jesus as the only God because they've got a whole pantheon of gods. And the Jewish people are struggling to think that the, the, the Gentiles, all the really bad lost people of the world, can really be in on the same promises that they have. And so Paul is writing under a lot of pressure. He's writing under a lot of duress, and he's even writing with imprisonment in his life because now he's stuck in the middle of an old religious way that maybe doesn't want to let everybody else in, and then an external cultural system that really doesn't want to embrace the fact that Christ is the only true God who has been raised up from the dead with power over life and power over death. And so Paul opens this chapter. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So there he's opening up that idea again. 
I'm God's prisoner. I'm, I'm, I'm linked into God's plan for the sake of the Gentiles. And then he sort of digresses a little bit in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. It was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, when I read that, I just go, amen, because I'm not Jewish. And so I'm pretty happy right then and there. You know, and I'm going, okay, I'm a Giglio. We, we, we came from Sicily, you know. Um, I'm a Paisano, you know. So I, I, I like hearing this verse because I'm thinking, I don't have all that history. I don't know that I can go back and go all the way back to Abraham in my natural family tree. So I'm thrilled. But we're missing the weight of this today. If we don't step back just a tiny step and go, when Paul is writing these words, he's dropping an atom bomb into the religious culture of the day. And he's saying this is hard for people to grasp, that both the Gentiles and the Jews are now one body, both as, as equal people having access to the promises of God in Christ Jesus. So we talked about that earlier when we did the dividing wall thing in chapter 2, that now all of us have access But you say, well, what does that mean to me today? It means to us today that there's nobody in this building right now, no matter where you came from, what your family's like, what your background is like, whether you come from a good family or a bad family, a religious family or a heathen family, whether your parents love God or hated God, whether you've done it all right in your life, supposedly, or maybe you've got it all wrong in your life, supposedly. The big message today is that everybody can come and be a part of the promise of God and the history of God unfolding. Everybody's welcome to be a part of God's story. Everybody has a place in the promises of God in Christ. He goes on to say, and I just want to read all of this because we're going to just get back up to verse 12. He says, I became a servant, verse 7, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And I want you to really zero in on verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. And I want us to be encouraged today. I want you to be encouraged today. It's not the main part of our text today, but I want everyone to be encouraged today because God is showing us something in this passage. Why would Paul say that he was less than the least of all the saints? Why would he say that? Because in his mind, from his point of view, him looking at his own life, he, did, he wasn't coming into the story going, of course God's going to use me. Of course God's going to pick me. You know, sometimes we do have that idea. You know, I mean, look at me. Our life's been pretty good and our path's been pretty good. I bet God's going to pick me to do that. But Paul's mentality wasn't like that because even though he had grown up in a Jewish family, he was very violently opposed to, to the message of Jesus Christ. 
So he had all this Jewish religious background and all the right pedigree. And so when Jesus came on the scene and the gospel first emerged after the resurrection, Paul wasn't a fan of it. In fact, on the contrary, he was an enemy of it. And so Paul's mission was to go around and snuff out Christianity wherever he found it. To, to pressure and to persecute people of the way. And he, he felt like he was defending the true Judaism by snuffing out the message of this crazy radical Jesus guy who apparently, supposedly, was raised from the dead. But as you know the story, we talked about it in verse 1. God met him on the way to persecuting some Christians in one of these towns. God appeared to him in a vision. Jesus Christ appeared to Paul, knocked him off of his feet, knocked him to the ground, blinded him. And all of a sudden, his world was shaken up by the presence of Christ in his life. And at the end of the day, when his sight was restored, a man came and prayed over Paul and said to him, God has chosen you to carry his name to the Gentiles, to kings and to leaders, rulers, and authorities, God intentionally picked the least likely guy to proclaim that all people are now welcome into the message of Jesus Christ. Because God, A, has a sense of humor, because God, B, likes to do things backwards, because God likes to do things upside down, so that at the end of the day, people go, okay, the only explanation for that is that God must have done that. And that's what God's thinking about your life today. Because see, in your mind, you might think, I'm probably the less than the least of all the saints. And God's thinking, you know, I think you're my son or daughter, A. But yeah, if you want to stack it up and how you've done and where your path has led and what your life's been about, yeah, maybe you're not like the leading candidate right now to do what I'm about to call you to do. But that's the beauty of God. See, that's the beauty of God. That God doesn't need you to be the leading candidate to do what he's calling you to do. He needs you to be available to what he's calling you to do. And then the story is going to be how in the world did that person get chosen to do that? That's where God laughs and says, because I get to do the choosing and I take the weak things of the world and I confound the strong of the world. I take the lesser, maybe not the most intellectual things in the world to confound the wise because I am powerful enough to use anybody, anytime, anywhere to do anything. So what is our message today? Our message is that we got to receive this possibility today that nothing is disqualifying us from being used powerfully by God to open up the gospel to all people on earth. There's nothing in your life that's disqualified. You say, well, you know, I went through this. I know. And, and, and that maybe isn't what you wanted to go through. And if we could all rewind it and do it over again, we would hope maybe that wouldn't happen. I just want you to know that's not disqualifying you from being used by God to do something phenomenal in this world. And the enemy's primary mission in our life, his primary calling card in the life of the believer is to stand right behind us and remind us of our failures and convince us that because of our shortcomings, we will never do anything great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in the voice of the Spirit, on the other hand, are right inside of us saying, hey, your shortcomings are overwhelmed by Jesus' accomplishment and all of what he has done and he's living in your life. Christ in you is greater than everything else in your life. Christ in you is greater. And I really believe today God wants to crack something off of somebody in this building because you have been convinced that you're going to have to take a lesser role 
because of the shortcomings or the failures of your life. And God is saying, no, I will actually redeem the shortcomings and the failures of your life to use you in a more powerful way to proclaim the gospel. Think about Paul. When Paul started preaching the gospel, people were scared to death of him. When he'd come into their town preaching the gospel, he'd say, I'm not showing up at that meeting. It's a trick. It's a trick. He's preaching Jesus, so all the people will come around to celebrate Jesus. And when they get there, he's going to lock the doors and arrest everybody and haul them off like he'd been doing in the other cities. Nobody trusted Paul because that's how radical and crazy the story was. But finally, when they realized that he really is preaching Jesus, can you imagine how the news spread and how powerful that message was for Paul to be able to say, I'm proclaiming the Jesus that I persecuted. Now I have seen him personally and my life has been changed and I want your life to be changed as well. And so we got two things going on here today. We've got the power of God choosing anybody and everybody to be a part of his unfolding story. And then we have the beauty of the church and that's what happens in verse 10. And let me just come back to this verse for a second and then we'll jump to our conclusion today. It says his intent, that's God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, there's two amazing things in this, in this verse. The first amazing thing in this verse is this phrase that says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. What does that mean? Well, if you do a little digging into the original language, what you see is, is that manifold wisdom means multifaceted, multicolored plan. And so what God's been doing all along and what God is primarily doing now in the church through Christ is he's unfolding the beauty of his redemption plan. And you are a part of it. It's not just a big common thing called the church. It's a very individual uh, thing all joined together into one collective. And every one of us is different. Every story is different. Every one of us, if you will, is a different shade, a different hue, a different color, a little bit different strand. And God's weaving all those colors. That manifold wisdom is the unfolding multiple colored wisdom of God unfolding from generation to generation to generation to generation and it's getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer what God's plan was all along which was to take me and you from nowhere and to bring us to everywhere to take me and you from death and to bring us to life to take me and you who were broken and to heal and restore us in the power of Jesus and that's been the plan all along, but that plan's getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer as the church unfolds. And you know who it's getting clear to in this passage? And this is so, this just blows my mind. It's getting clear to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. That's who's, who's watching the story unfold. You know what that means? It means that the angels of God are watching you and me somehow without a full comprehension of what's going on. But they're watching you and me, and as they're watching you and me, they're getting clued in little by little by little that something mysterious is unfolding, and that is that the rebels are getting to come back home. And the angels are mystified and baffled by that reality. They're watching. Uh, There's another place in Scripture that sort of amplifies this a little bit, and I'm not sure if we have this text or not, but uh, you can turn uh, to it with me. It's found in 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Look at what it says. Pretty amazing. Because I think sometimes we think we're just down here living out our lives on our own. 
but it's talking about the gospel unfolding in verse 10. And it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. In other words, they're trying to figure out how is this whole plan going to come to pass? How is all of this salvation, how's it going to work? They're, they're in the car going, where are we going? They're in the car going, why did we take this exit? They're, they're in the car going, are, we, are you sure we're at the right destination? They're trying to figure out how is God going to bring his salvation to its conclusion? And then if you look just in the middle of it, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So that's Paul now. He's opening up the gospel. Now things are being revealed. But look at the last phrase. Even angels long to look into these things. Did you ever think about that? I mean, I, I know we've got the two angels in the picture, you know, that are looking over the little deal and looking down on earth. You have a poster of them at home, anybody? Um, we saw them. They're in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, Italy, if you want to go see them in real life. And there's those two little happy little angels, and they're just kind of peering down over, you know, the top of the door. And what are they looking at? Maybe that painter was trying to get around this text because the angels are looking down at you, and they're baffled by you. Did you think about that? Or, or, I, have you ever thought through that? The angels are looking at me, and the angels are looking at you, and they're like, what's going on? We, we can't quite figure out exactly what's going on with these people. But little by little, he says, the layers are being peeled back, and little by little, this manifold wisdom of God is being made known in the church. Let's talk about manifold wisdom for a second. All it means is, is that God's plan is a multifaceted, multicolored, multilayered, unfolding plan that's coming clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer as more and more people are coming to faith in the church in Christ. It's kind of like a Polaroid. You know the old days? Remember those? picture pops out. You put it down on the thing. Nothing. You're looking at nothing, nothing, just gray, nothing. No excitement there at all. You know, I know we're all in the digital age, but we didn't used to be. You used to have to take your, your film actually to a film developer. Imagine that young people. Imagine how awful that would have been. You take a roll of film to the drugstore and you leave it. And a couple days later, you come back and get photographs. That really happened. You can look that up on the internet and uh, that, that's real what I'm talking about. And so we're in this bam, digital eight megapixel thing on my phone. Take a picture, but big revelation was the Polaroid camera. Anybody lived back in the Polaroid camera era? And the thing would come out, but nothing was going on, and so you'd shake it. I don't know why we did that. Shake it a little bit, and then you'd sit it down, and then everybody just stare at it. And then after a little while, something started appearing sort of monochromatic, and it wasn't all that great, and you're like, yeah. And then things would start appearing, and you're like, oh, yeah, there we are, but we don't look normal. And then we look a little more normal, and if you were really like one of those kind of families and you had color Polaroid, we never had that, things start coming in color now. And now if you sit there long enough and you look long enough, the picture comes clear, and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, and then you post it up on the bulletin board or stick it on your refrigerator. Polaroid. Some of y'all, just look it up when you get home. Just... Google it. And, that, and that's what God is saying. He's saying all along God had a plan to redeem us all from the beginning of time. 
It wasn't just an Israel plan. It was all of us plan, and you were in it. And from the very beginning of time, God took a picture of salvation. And the angels shook it. And it just started getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. There was an ark one time, and Noah saved his family. And it got a little clearer. There was an ark of, a co- of the covenant in, in an era where God's holy presence dwelled among men in a chest overlaid with gold. And it got a little clearer. There was a tent of meeting where the glory of God would come down and cover the tent. And it got a little clearer. There was a pillar of fire in the daytime and, I mean, in the nighttime and a cloud by the daytime and the picture got a little bit clearer. There was a prophet who came along and spoke about the ways of God and the truth of God and it got a little bit clearer. One day Moses went up on the mountain and the Ten Commandments came down and lightning and thunder issued forth and people went on. The picture got a little bit clearer. Then there was a temple that was built and there was an outer court and an inner court and something called the Holy of Holies and it was separated by a huge veil that went from top to bottom and inside was the holy place, the holy altar of God with the Holy of Holies and no one could go into that place and the picture got a little bit clearer and then John the Baptist came and he said, prepare the way of the Lord and the picture got a little bit clearer Then a baby was born and the picture got clearer and then Jesus started walking on earth and the picture got clearer. Then there was a cross and the picture got a whole lot clearer clear and then there was a resurrection and everything started to crystallize and then the spirit of God came on the people of God and it started coming in living color and then you and I came into the story and as it unfolded layer after layer after layer God's purposes were revealed and that is that my plan will not be thwarted I'm going to reach you in your life where you live and I'm going to save you by the saving power of almighty God through Jesus Christ I planned on it from the before the foundations of the earth it was snapped in a photograph on day one and it's been developing and unfolding every single day until right now until right now and somebody today at 1230 could put your faith in Jesus and it would get a little bit clear and every time it gets clear God is going I love it but he's already seen it he's not going oh that looks nice he's already seen the whole picture the angels are the ones looking at the picture and they're going what's happening what's going on And he says, this manifold wisdom of God is being revealed. It's being unfolded. It's being peeled back. It's like a sunset. You're sitting there watching the sun go down on 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 an afternoon where it's crisp and cool, and the clouds are all in the sky, and as the sun starts coming down and dropping down close to the horizon, it's all yellow, and, and then it gets all orange, and then the sun goes down, and it turns a little bit pink, and then it gets purple, and then it gets blue, and, and, and the whole time, it's just all this layers of this beautiful, multifaceted, manifold sunset, one sun, one set, one set of clouds, a whole different variety of beauty, and that's what God's looking at in this room right now. One Jesus, one salvation, but God looks beautiful in you, and it looks beautiful in you, a little bit different in you than in you. Same Jesus, same salvation, but man, the two of you are making this thing really beautiful and throw you in the mix. Oh, wow. And hello, your story. Now we got something going on. You two, oh my goodness. Now we've got like manifold wisdom going on. And then you put the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of us in the story. Come on. It's the beauty of God being revealed and the angels are looking on and they're going, how's this happening? And you know what I, want, I wonder about? And another place in scripture alludes to this, that they're, they're thinking, 
How does this work? Because they know how holy God is. And they wonder how the rebels can come home. And Revelation 4 describes the throne of God. And it says, as John's having this revelation, and I saw the heavenly city, and it was opened up before me, and in the midst of it was a throne. He says it looked like uh, brightness and light and an emerald encircled it. And he describes it with these various, you know, precious stones. And he said, lightning and thunder issued forth from the throne and it rumbled on the throne. And there were 24 elders and there were these four living creatures. And the four living creatures were covered with eyes all around. And they had six wings. And they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's the picture of heaven. In another place in Scripture, it talks about those seraphim. It says they have six wings, and with two wings they cover their face, and with two wings they cover their feet, and with two wings they fly around. They've never sinned, but they cover their face in the presence of God. They've never rebelled against God, and they've never walked away, but they cover their feet in the presence of God. They're so stunned and so in awe of the beauty and the purity and the brilliance and the righteousness of God that all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then they don't go, okay, that was great. Where do you want to eat? They don't have, there is no other phrase. There is no other conversation. There's nothing else to be said. You're thinking, well, that's kind of a boring life. No, that is an amazing life to be looking at something so awesome that you can't stop saying how awesome it is. There's nothing else to to talk about. Imagine that. There's nothing else to talk about but just how awesome the throne of God and the God of that throne is. And these perfect creatures, perfect creatures, never stop standing in awe of a throne from which lightning peals with thunder. And then they're looking down and seeing what God is doing. They're running assignments into mankind and understanding people like you and me are coming now to God. And they're going, how's that happening? That people like them get to see what we see. And that's been the unfolding plan of Jesus all along. Leads us to this verse 12. So the result for you and me is verse 12. In Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Is that floor anybody besides me? Does that floor anybody in the house today? That we, 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 we may approach God. We, a little collection of molecules, finite as we are, that we may approach God. Not, not, not the man upstairs, not, not you know, our, our, our pal up in the sky, not our, our butler up in heaven, the holy of holy gods, whereby angels who have never sinned cover their faces in his presence. Angels who've never run from him cover their feet in his presence. 
And they never cease saying. They never stop saying. They, they, they can't think of anything else to say but holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There, there isn't a B part to that. Oh, and by the way, did you see whatever, whatever yesterday? That was pretty fantastic, wasn't it? In, in the place they are, there's no additional communication needed because they're so captivated and so mesmerized and so blown away by the beauty that is right in front of them. There's nothing else to say. But holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that God is approachable to you and me. Do we have any uh, trial attorneys at Passion City Church? We, we, don't, we don't need you right now today, but just checking in, in the event that we might need you one day. Any trial attorneys in the building today? That's good to know. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, um, but we don't have any trial attorneys present today. But you, you, you've watched enough television and a movie. You know that you can go to Harvard Law School. You can get a law degree. You can be the highest paid, most high-powered lawyer on earth. And when you're in a courtroom, you have to ask the judge for permission to approach the bench. Think about that. You got a Harvard degree in your back pocket. You're getting paid a million dollars to defend somebody. And then you got an extra question. You want a little bit of a sidebar with the judge. You have to say permission to approach the bench. It's like from here to you. It's like a person sitting behind it. Yeah, they got a robe on, but they're a person just like you. But their office, their status, and the position that they hold requires that the respect is given to them in such a way that you have to ask if you even can walk up there and talk to them. And Paul is saying, you have permission to approach the throne of God with freedom and confidence. And that was a game changer. You remember the Old Testament? The Old Testament was led primarily by uh, three words. You know what the three words that kind of were the, the, the hallmark of the Old Testament? Anybody got a guess? They were the words... Um, Thou shalt not. Do you remember those? Hundreds of times those words appear, especially in King James a version of the Bible, and you get the shout in the King James, which is good. We've changed that to shall, but same idea. And that's the whole thinking of the Old Testament. God was so holy that you couldn't approach. That there's a barricade to the presence and the glory of God that you couldn't approach, you couldn't get through. Let me just remind us of a couple things really fast. So when they created a, a tent of meeting for God, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God would come down on the tent and Moses could go and meet God at the tent, but all of Israel had to stand at a distance at their tents and watch as Moses went to the tent to meet with God. Nobody else could go to the tent. Then there came a day that God was going to meet with Moses on Mount Sinai. And so Moses was going to go up on the mountain. And God said, and by the way, when you come up on the mountain, everybody else is going to want to come up on the mountain. But you need to put a fence around the bottom of the mountain. Because if anybody comes near the mountain while I'm on the mountain, they're going to die. Their cattle, everybody's going to be wiped out. So you need to put some sort of barricade and instruct the people, don't come near the mountain when God is on the mountain. Moses got chosen to go up on the mountain, but when he went up on the mountain, God said to him, you can't see my face because if you see me, you will die. So the whole story was a story about how God was holy and the holiness of God 
separated him from people. All the laws were, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But then even in the approach to God was, you're just a regular, ordinary person, you're not coming. So eventually they built a temple, right? And in the temple there was a holy of holies. It was separated by a huge veil that went from top to bottom. And behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place. And the only person who could go into the holy of holies was the high priest on one day a year, the day of atonement, one person, one day into the holy presence of God. But you're never going into the holy presence of God. Thou shalt not. And a huge barricade to the glory and presence of God. And what's interesting to me is I think a lot of people have missed what Paul is trying to unpack for us today. And their mentality of God is still this mentality right here. He's holy, he's different, he's other. His main message to me is, thou shalt not. Don't think about coming near me, and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. That's what life's about, it's what Christianity's about, it's about faith's about, it's about all the things that we can't do. It's almost as if God were putting up a no trespassing sign in his presence and saying, hey, I don't want you coming near me because to put it in Paul's terms, you're a Gentile. You busted your life up too many times, you've made too many mistakes. Your path has got too many potholes in it. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. You know, no, no trespassing. It's interesting. I, I saw a sign this week um, on someone's property, and it said, no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted <laughs> to the full extent of the law. Man, that's a friendly welcome, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's what we found, by the way, when we came to 515, where you're sitting this morning. I think the picture is really a different picture, but when we came here, this is what was around this property. This was what went down Garson Drive, all the way from one side to the other. And it said on it, no trespassing. And it did say violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And uh, Chris and I jumped over the fence anyway, thought we'd take our chances. We knew Jesus and anything terrible happened to us. We thought we'd go on to heaven. But we did jump over and kind of walked around the building the first time. And I, I, I admit to you, that was a, I, I'm sorry I did that. I broke the law and... As your pastor, I ask your forgiveness for that. But that's the picture. Up until the mystery got unfolded in Jesus, this was the way you approached God. You didn't approach God. God would come and meet you in a pillar of fire or cloud by day or through the word of a prophet or another man who could go in the Holy of Holies, but you weren't going near God. But here's the beauty of Jesus. Our faith is not thou shalt not this morning. Our faith, our journey with Jesus is not all the things you can't do. Right? So that's not God's approach to you. That's not God's interest in our lives today. God is not saying to us, hey, here's the list of all the things you can't do as a Christian. Enjoy your life. No, everything changed in Jesus. And so now, not only is there not some sort of security fabric, you know, on the fence so that we can't even look or see into the, the presence of God, but everything changed in Jesus Christ. And now the operative words of our story are that we may. See, we got, we got a big change. We went from thou shalt not to that we may. And when this jumps off the page at you, you're like, hey, we're on the right track at Passion City Church. Because it says in verse 12, in Christ and through faith in him, say it with me, we may approach God. We don't have to approach God, but we may approach God. 
It's not a burden for us to approach God, but we may approach God. We don't deserve to approach God, but we may approach God. And for generations, nobody approached God, but you and I get to approach God. So in heaven, there's going to be a lot of conversation because there was a lot of people for the generations that passed and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And they're going to go, man, you guys got it so good. We got thou shalt not, couldn't go near the mountain, couldn't go up on the mountain, couldn't go in the Holy of Holies, couldn't go in any of the sacred places, couldn't do anything. And then you came along, look at all you guys, you weren't even Jews, you weren't even in the promise, you didn't even start out with God, you didn't have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in your family tree, you were just a bunch of rebels and a bunch of people who didn't deserve to even be in the promise according to some of the thinking of the Jews of the day. And look at you, Christ came and Christ tore that veil in two, Christ made the sacrifice complete. And then he said to somebody like you, you're going to get to do what they never did. You're going to get to do what they never were able to do. Because the manifold wisdom of God is getting clearer day by day by day. And praise God, we're living in the last days of the unfolding of the story of the mystery of the grace of God. Man, I'm telling you, when that gets in your heart and that lights you up, you go, thanks be to God that I wasn't born 600 years ago or 4,000 years ago. And I would have known there was a God and I would have known he was holy because I, I saw the cloud come down on the mountain and I heard the rumblings when he met with Moses. I I would have known there was a God and I would have known he was holy but I would have never been able to walk into his presence with confidence and freedom and now he's saying it's a new day it's a new day not only does he not say no trespassing he really says no trespasses (laughs) I've wiped them all away and he doesn't say hey you're not welcome he says you are welcome everybody's welcome And everybody has an opportunity to step in to the very presence of the throne of God. You see, come on. Step in. You're like, how can we step in? How can can that be possible? Apparently, uh, wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. I like that today. How how, how can that be? It happens in Christ and through faith in Him. And so the writer of the Hebrews says it this way. Some think the writer of the Hebrews might be the same as the writer of Ephesians, but that can't be verified. But this is what it says at the end. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Jesus becomes the way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Two verses later, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These people only saw signs. They only saw smoke. They only heard the rumblings. And they never were really able to see the glory because they couldn't get near and they couldn't approach. But you can walk in because you've seen me. And if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. And through me, you have access to him because I have covered you with a final sacrifice. I've covered you with the blood of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And you, any of you who have put faith in me, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what your story, you can come. And when you get here, of course you bow down. Of course you're in awe. Of course you're filled with reverence. Of course you're, you're saying hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much that I, through you, Jesus, can step in to the very presence of God. I can approach the I can approach the throne. I can approach my Father. I can approach the God of heaven, people. I can approach the one who holds the whole universe together. I can walk right up to him and say, Father. And when Paul says you can approach with freedom and confidence, the freedom word, it really isn't like the freedom from our sins and freedom from our guilt and freedom from our shame. The word there, freedom, means that you can speak freely to God. That you can come to God and say what is on your mind. You can come to God and say what is on your heart. You can come to God and be real. You can come to God and be honest. You can come to God and just freely pour out your heart to Him. You don't have to come to Him and go, Okay, dearest thou, most wonderful heavenly Father, is who sitteth thou on the highest throne of heaven. You can just come to Him and say, Dad, I'm in a world of hurt and I need your help. You can come to him and say, I've blown it miserably and I need your grace. You can come to him through Jesus and say, I need to be saved. And I need to be brought back to life from the dead. And Paul said, when you come, you can speak freely. And he said, you can come with confidence. And the confidence there, that, the idea under that word simply means that you can come knowing now and forever that God is God and that he is going to give you what you need. I love the scriptures. It's everywhere in the scripture. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what? Let him approach God and ask God, and God will give it to him. If anybody lacks strength, let him approach God and ask God, and God will strengthen him through the life of Christ. If anybody lacks grace, let him come to God and let him ask for the grace of God. And I just love today that our story is not that. There was a reason why God unfolded this chapter by chapter by chapter, generation by generation by generation. But praise God, we're not living in that generation. But now the manifold, beautiful, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God has been made known through the church. And his intention was this, that we may, that we may approach God with freedom. You know, you come right to God today. What would you ask him for if you could walk right up to the God of heaven today? What would you say to him? I mean, obviously you would say, thank you that I just walked into your presence and I'm still here. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you for grace. But then what would you say if you were face to face with God?
and he's saying, come on, come on. Our life now and our faith is not about what you can't do. It's about the one phenomenal thing you can do. And that is that you can approach God and speak freely with God, confident that he's going to give you what you need.